Okay, well, we're going to fly through uh, this morning because we, we've got a big uh, character that we're going to cover. Uh, we're continuing in our Greater Story series. And this morning, we are looking at a well-known character. And I'm sure all of us know a little bit about this story of this guy, uh, the story of Joseph. Now, I'm sure you've all got some knowledge of Joseph, even if you have got it from Andrew Lloyd Webber. I mean, let's just get this out of the way first, right, okay. Who's seen the musical? Okay. Who liked the musical? Right, okay, you can go to the kids' work. Um, I, I have seen the musical. Now, I'll admit, I'm not a huge fan of musicals. I had actually never been to a theatre until I got married. Um, I'm now much more cultured since I've met my wife. Um, and I've stayed awake for at least half of the ones that I've been to see. But when I went to see Joseph, I think I was actually in the middle of uh, uh, studying theology and I was really offended by the way that it was, the story was put across because it was kind of like, well, Joseph was a bit unlucky and then he was lucky and it was like, no, God had a divine plan through it all. Um, and there's some catchy songs on it, but don't get your information from the Lloyd Webber. Now, so far in this story that we're following... Uh, we've seen recently, we're following this line of a man called Abraham, that God would promise to bless the whole world, all the nations through this man's family line. And just before we jump into the story of Joseph, uh, I know many of you will know where he ends up. Where does he end up? Egypt, that's right. And uh, it's helpful to remember when we're studying the Bible like this, so we're trying to understand the whole story. If you're new here today, if you're a visitor, we're trying to understand the whole story of the Bible from beginning to end. And we're working our way quite quickly, it, you would think. We, I mean, we've been in Genesis since uh, September, uh, but this is the last day in Genesis. We're trying to understand the whole story. So it's helpful just to look back occasionally just to help us understand um, Back in uh, Genesis 15, uh, God had spoken to Abraham, and he spoke to Abraham and told him that his descendants would spend 400 years in another country. They would be sojourners in another land, in another country. So at the beginning of this story, God speaks to Abraham and says, some stuff's going to have to happen. And we haven't really got time to look at the whole verse, but in um, Genesis 15, 15, God gives the reason for this uh, journey and this exile, which we're going to start to look at next week. Is He says the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So when we're looking into the detail of this story of Joseph, this is the beginning of this, of God taking his people into another land for 400 years. Because God had to deal with centuries of wickedness. And then it's not until 400 years later when they come back, and then eventually Joshua, which we will get to at some point in the next few years, I'm sure, that they claim back the promised land. So there is, God has a plan for this kind of pilgrim people. And it's a bit like a picture of our life on earth until Jesus returns. God plans 400 years of affliction for his people before the promised land. And then he says to us, through many tribulations, you enter through the kingdom of God. 
It just helps us understand our story a bit more if we keep... It's helpful when you study the Bible to keep looking back, looking in the context of what you're reading. And really, part of what we're doing here is we're trying to infuse you and get a passion for you to read the Bible and get to know it more. Because you reading the Bible in your own time, in the week, helps fill in the gaps that we can't cover all of on a Sunday. Now, back to Joseph... This story has so much in it that to try and cover it in one Sunday would be crazy. But nevertheless, that is what we're going to try and do. Let's take a deep breath. It's going to happen. Now, this story has all sorts of things in it. It There's jealousy, anger, suffering, injustice, patience, forgiveness, and everything else in between. There is so much in the story of Joseph. It is one of the longest stories, in fact it is the longest story in Genesis about a single character, spread over 11 chapters. We're going to get through 11 chapters this morning. We're going to start reading now and we should be done by the prayer meeting this afternoon. So, you've heard recently about Joseph's father, Jacob, how he deceived his father, how he robbed his brother of the blessings and birthright. He went on the run. He met Laban. He married his daughter. Well, he married the wrong daughter, and then he married the right daughter, which was very careless. They had a time where uh, they couldn't conceive. He and Rachel couldn't conceive, so they tried to make things happen in their own way. Jacob tries to uh, conceive a child with Rebecca's, Rachel's uh, servant, Bilhar, and Bilhar had Dan. And Rachel, do you remember Adam saying last week, Rachel thought she had prevailed through her own plan. But this was like history repeating itself with Abraham and Sarah. They took matters into their own hand rather than waiting for God and his promises. Time and time again, we see God's chosen people happening in his time and his way. All the early fathers couldn't make it work. Abraham couldn't produce a son in his own efforts and time. Jacob and Rachel couldn't either. They produced Dan. Now, Dan is one of the tribes of Israel. But if you know your Bible well, when you get to Revelation at the end, the tribe of Dan is not mentioned in Revelation. But Joseph is. And his son, Manasseh. It's almost like a double portion of blessing for Joseph. And the church, and us as individuals, we can want to do things our way, without waiting for God. But what does God write down in eternity? Some things produce a quick harvest, but they're planted in the wrong soil, or built on the wrong foundation. But what is written in the heavenlies is important. Dan isn't there at the end, but Joseph is. The son who was chosen before the foundations of the world to fulfill a purpose. So as we go into this story, you think Jacob would have learned his lesson from his father. Not choosing his favourites. Knowing it would cause trouble and strife if he did that. You'd think Jacob would have learned that lesson, wouldn't you? Well, let's see what happens in Genesis 37, 1 to 11. If we could skip straight to that. My screen's not working, so I don't know what's happening behind me. Um... Right, Genesis 37, verse 1 to 11. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn to it. It's good to have the physical copy in your hand. Genesis 37, verse 1 to 11, we're going to look at. 
It says this, Jacob lived in the land of his fathers, sojourning in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. In where I'm from, we would have called him a grass or a telltale. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a robe of many colours. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream and he thought it was a good idea to tell it to his brothers. So he told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field and behold, my sheep arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. Then he dreamed another dream and thought, I know, that's a good idea, I'll tell them this one. And he told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. And behold, the sun, the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. And when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come down to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. So setting the scene here, Joseph has 10 brothers. He is favored by his father and it is obvious to the brothers. He's given this cloak of many colors. In the older translations, it used to call it the cloak of long sleeves. I'd like to see Lloyd Webber make a musical out of that. <laughs> this garment really showed who was in management and who was in manual labor. So already he's his father's favorite. He gets given this fancy coat and he has two dreams and thinks, I know what will make my brothers love me even more. I shall tell them these dreams that I've had. Now, I don't know if you've got any siblings or if you have uh, more than one child. The dynamics between siblings and saying these sorts of things is not going to go well. Even Jacob rebukes his son when he hears the dream. But however, God is speaking to Joseph here. But what he's saying doesn't come into fruition for another 20 years. Joseph here could possibly appear as proud or even cocky, but he thinks, well, you know, God has spoken to me. I'm going to be a big deal. But God is never in a hurry. And you may have had some big dreams for your life. Maybe God has even spoken to you. Maybe you've had a prophetic word that hasn't come to fruition yet. It, some of them could have been wrong, but maybe some of it, God is waiting for the right moment. And he will always do things in his time. He sees the beginning and the end. Joseph shares his second dream with his brothers, and they do what any self-respecting older brother would do in that situation. They sell him into slavery. <laughs> so, Genesis 37, verse 18 to 24, is, they saw him come from, coming from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. 
They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we'll say a fierce animal has devoured him and we'll see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might then rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colours that he wore, and they took him and threw him in the pit, and the pit was empty and there was no water in it. And then from this point, they then sell him to Midianite traders or Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. They take the coat of many colours and they dip it in goat's blood to take to Jacob to say, he's been devoured by a wild animal. And in this series, we've seen all the way through and we'll continue to see all the way through Scripture. They, the characters that we're learning about are types of Christ, just like Jesus, Joseph, is sold for pieces of silver. He was betrayed by those who should have loved him the most. We see in this story that these brothers and many will bow their knee to Joseph in the future. And we know that one day every knee will bow before Jesus. And it's only when we actually voluntarily bow the knee to Jesus, hold him as our supreme king, that we're less concerned with the outcomes of various power plays around us. From other humans that are in our lives, for brothers and, and sisters and bosses and companies and governments. Trusting God in tough times and fixing our eyes upon him. And maybe it was Joseph holding on to these dreams that he had that got him through the tough times. So his brothers are conspiring. All of this is happening. They go back to see Jacob, but we see at the end, there's this great line at the end of chapter 37. It says, meanwhile, meanwhile, Joseph is on his way to Egypt to fulfill God's plan for the nations. And we think, I don't know if you've read this story and thought, well, maybe it would be easier if God had just turned up and said, Joseph, don't be proud and arrogant. Jacob, watch out for the brothers because... You know, they're going to kill him. Don't have favorites. But God had a long-term plan for Joseph and the nations. And Joseph wasn't ready yet, and he needed to shape him, shape his character. And it's the same, I find, in my life, and I'm sure it is the same in yours, that we never learn from someone just telling us how, what and how we should do things. And... It's only through our experiences, our own experiences, really, that we learn. We never learn or build character if someone just says, don't do this, do this. Don't ever think, though, that God isn't on the move. Because it isn't till the end of the story we can see God working out a plan. You might be in a pit right now. You might be in a difficult place, but... God is working, and we need to bow the knee to Jesus on a regular basis. Moving on swiftly, Jesus, uh, uh, Joseph sorry, doesn't get a mention in chapter 38 of Genesis. So I would encourage you to read about Judah and Tamar in your own time. Maybe you could do a Bible study in, in your uh, connect groups about that. Um, 
Uh, but Joseph then is in Egypt in chapter 39. Joseph has been sold by the Ishmaelites to a man called Potiphar. Potiphar was probably a really rich guy. Um, he was the captain of the guard. So he was employed by Pharaoh, likely to have led the king's executioners. It's a good job. Joseph does well working in the house of Potiphar. He's diligent, he's hardworking. And this story really has ups and downs all the way through. It, it's going well for Joseph and then not so well for Joseph. Things are looking good and then not so good. So Genesis 39 from verse 3. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused, caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. It's not a bad place to be, is it? Joseph is not only a type of Christ that points to a greater saviour, but he's also a great example to us on how we should live our lives. Potiphar noticed the Lord was with Joseph. He was diligent. And people should notice us if we're different, if we're changed. A bit like Reuben's word today. People should notice because it should affect how we behave and how we live. Notice this, Joseph bore fruit while he was a slave. He bore fruit while he was a slave. He lived in the present, not in the past. Not dreaming about the future. Well, the Lord told me. I don't know why I'm in this situation. He was living in the present. Thinking about being salt and light without murmuring or complaining. Like Philippians 2.14 says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you are to shine as lights in the world. Church, you are to shine as lights in this dark world, in a twisted and crooked generation. The world is full of complaining. And it is testimony to what God has done in us when we don't behave like the rest of the world. We need to be like this in work, in church, in family. We need to look different. We need to taste different. And we create a thirst in people for God by the way that we are, by the way that we treat people, by the way that we speak about others, about our language, about our behavior, how we don't have to get drunk with everyone else. I've always tried to have a good work ethic. I haven't always succeeded, but when I ran my own uh, business when we lived in Suffolk, I, I always tried to turn up on time. I always tried to communicate with customers, which is not always a builder's strong point. I'm sure you may have experienced that. How I treated laborers and trainees. I tried to be different because that is a very harsh... I grew up in this environment. It's a very harsh environment. 
but I tried to treat them with gentleness and respect. We don't talk about the boss. We don't gossip. We try to work hard. If you're employed, turn up on time. My colleagues will know how I feel about timekeeping. God was training Joseph all through this. He was training Joseph all through this. He was being trusted with the little before he was trusted with a lot. D.L. Moody says, The men who have been permitted to do larger things are men that began with small things. Just like David, he fought bears and lions before he went on to slay giants. Every time Joseph went through one trial to another, heaven was rejoicing because he passed the test to move on to the next thing. Jesus spent 30 years in obscurity for three years of ministry. God knows what he's doing and he's working in your waiting. And I just felt the Lord actually prompt me this morning about uh, living in the present. Do you know where you live? You live in the present. You don't live in the past and you don't live in the future. You live in the now. And I think I've come to terms with this more as I've become older is not always thinking about what God is calling me to next. God has got a great plan for me, and I'm going to go and do great things. I'm going to, no, God is calling me to live in the here and now. Where you are right now, that is where God has called you to. And I now try to live, and my, my wife and I live with the attitude of, we, we're ready to go whenever God calls us, but we're going to live like we're going to be here forever until he says otherwise. And that, I find, is a really helpful. Otherwise, you're always wrestling and struggling to not commit to things, and you're missing out on what God is wanting to do in your life now, today. So, things are going well for Joseph. He's doing well in Potiphar's house, but things are about to change. Genesis 39, verse 6. Now, Joseph was was handsome in form and appearance. I know most of you men cannot uh, relate to this. And after a, a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He's not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. I love this line. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And she spoke to Joseph day after day, but he would not listen to her. Lie beside her or be with her. And one day when he went into the house to do his work, none of the men were in the house, none were in the house, were there. And she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house And as soon as she saw he'd left his garment in her hand and fled out of the house, she called to the men of the household and said to them, See, he's brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us, and he came in to lie with me. But I cried out with a loud voice, and as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Notice what he says. He doesn't say, I could not sin against you or against my master. He says, I do not want to sin against God. He could have easily got away with this. He could have thought, maybe this is a way out of my situation here. 
that he did the right thing. He fled from sin. He ran away from sin. And sometimes that's what we've got to do, just have nothing to do with anything that might be drawing us near to that dangerous line. We can try and get ourselves out of situations sometimes which compromise our righteousness. And I wonder even if that word that Adam has brought today is speaking to some of us because we think, well, I can get out of this. I can improve my situation. But God wants us to be righteous, not to live by a set of rules, but because he knows what's best for us. That He knows that living in a certain way can harm us. I don't know if you've ever been out with children on a summer's day, but they want five ice creams. And we know as parents that that's not good for them. We know that it's not good for them to play around in the road. And like that, the Lord is our Father and sometimes has to bring a certain uh, line to tell us not to do things because he knows it will harm us in the long term. There are different types of sin, like Jesus, uh, Joseph, sorry, he is a type of Christ, so forgive me. Um, temptation can persist day after day. Every day she was saying to him, come lie with me. Come lie with me. Do you know temptation and sin knows when you're at your weakest, or when you're tired, or when you're ill, or when you're hungry. It doesn't wait for you to be at your best and go, are you okay now? Are you ready? Right, I'm going to tempt you. No, that's not how it works. Sin and temptation comes at you when you're at your lowest. So we have to learn to keep our guard up. Know how to combat it. I know when I'm tired or I'm stressed, I can snap at my family, I can make bad decisions, but it's been so helpful. I, I'm learning to live in the goodness of God, learning to renew my inner man. A Terry Virgo saying, renewing my inner man by spending every day with the Lord, acknowledging him at the beginning of the day, saying, you are my God. Come and fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. It's just acknowledging that he's the Lord over your day. And living the goodness of that. And we think, you know, sins are hidden. They're in a secret place. But God knows and sees all. I remember once speaking to a young man who'd come to Christ. Uh, he was coming and being part of the church uh, when we were in Suffolk. And I knew he did, really well, he did really well, came through, but I knew after a while he was living a, a double life. And I spoke to him once and I said, I was quite firm with him. I said, I didn't tell him I knew what he was doing. I said, do you know that God sees and knows all that you do? And he was terrified. But it was the right thing to do to bring, say, God sees and knows what you're doing. Because he thought, no one could see. I'm fine, I'm getting away with this. But he was sinning against God, and that's what Joseph didn't want to do. We need to live in God's grace. Let that grace shape us in our life. And we can be like in difficult situations, like the writer of Proverbs 15, who says, a soft answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger the tongue of the wise commends knowledge but the mouth of fools pour out folly the eyes of the lord are in every place keeping watch on the evil and the good and a gentle tongue is a tree of life when we live in that goodness 
when we give our lives daily to him, when we learn to put that armor on that it talks about in Ephesians, this is how we can live. And I'm not saying it's easy because it isn't. And again, we, in this Joseph story, we see the reflections of Jesus, who, like Joseph, resisted temptation and sin and was punished undeservedly, who th- was ultimately going through all of this to preserve life. Right, we're going to race through the last part of Joseph's life. At the end of chapter 39, poor old Joe gets thrown in prison by Potiphar because he believes his wife. And then, so things have taken a turn for the worst. You're thinking, getting thrown in prison cannot be part of God's plan, surely. But I love what it says as he's thrown into prison in Genesis 29, 39, 21. He's thrown into prison, but it says, The Lord was with Joseph. And showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Joseph is thrown in prison. He's falsely accused. But the Lord was with Joseph. We tend to think like bad stuff's happening to us. Things are not going our way. God must be so distant right now. Maybe I've upset him. He's withdrawn from me. And all of these sorts of crazy thoughts can go through our heads. But the Lord is always with us. I know that for myself. When things have been the hardest, when struggles have come our way, it's often in those moments that I have known God's presence and his voice more than in any other situation in my life. I've been through some difficult times over my life, as I'm sure we all have. I went through difficult times where people were speaking badly about me, thought things about me that weren't true, spoke uh, about me behind my back with gossip and half-truth. But in those times, I have never known God's presence and his voice more than in those moments. I remember having dreams, and something then would happen the next day, which was the dream. And God was just preparing me, so I was able to deal with it in a right way. I faced some of the most difficult situations and moments in my life which I had no qualifications to deal with, but the Lord was with me. And I'd never regret those times. And I never wish they never happened because the Lord drew near. And I knew his voice. And to go through a a sustained period of difficulty, but where God is giving me dream after dream after dream to deal with difficult situations... I know my father so much better because of it. He is the one who sustains us and leads us through. It is in those moments, that is when the fruit grows. I think it was Billy Graham said that fruit never grows on the mountain. It always grows in the valley. I don't know if you've heard of that. But God allows us these years in the valley to grow our character and grow our relationship with him. And what a privilege that is. What a journey. And I cannot wait to see what fruit he is producing in us. God's word promises us that we will survive the valleys because Jesus is with us. If we stay close to him, he will produce much fruit in you. The kind that will last. Psalm 23, verse 4 to 6 says, Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. 
Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honour me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessing. Surely goodness and your unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. God is with you. If you are feeling alone or rejected, he is with you. He is with you right now. Now Joseph is in prison. He ends up in charge of all of his cellmates. And then he meets two people who served Pharaoh, the king. One is the baker and one is the cup bearer. They both have dreams that Joseph interprets. One is good for the cup bearer and one is not so good for the baker. He loses his head, literally. I came across this this week in about Genesis 40 where it says Joseph has criminals. Again, just the reflection of Christ. Joseph has criminals on both sides and he promises death to one and life to the other just like Jesus on the cross. And then Joseph is lifted up and given all authority after that. I love this sort of thing, that's why I like to throw them in. uh, And then Andrew Wilson uh, said that uh, Joseph is in a pit between a baker equaling bread and a cupbearer equaling wine. The cup is a means of reconciliation with his brother, if you read through the story of the reconciliation with the brother. And the bread feeds the nations. I quite like that. That was quite good, I thought, as my friend Ian Lane would have said. Joseph correctly interprets the dreams of his fellow cellmates, uh, which sadly for the baker come true. And then eventually, years later, the cupbearer, So we're quite a few chapters on now. Remembers Joseph because Pharaoh wants his dreams to be interpreted. And after all the ups and downs of this story of Joseph, he's suddenly before the ruler of the nation. Genesis 41, Joseph goes through this incredible transformation of circumstances. He goes from being in a pit to being a servant, to being imprisoned, to suddenly standing before the ruler of the nation. And he has these dreams. Pharaoh says, I, I need some, he can't find anyone to interpret the dreams. So the cupbearer remembers, Joseph comes out of prison. And if you know the story, the dream is about seven fat cows being swallowed up by seven thin cows. And uh, seven plump grains, uh, ears of grain being destroyed by the seven uh, thinner grains. And uh, when I've been preparing this, I've had the this, this stupid song from the musical in my head all week about seven fat cows came out of the Nile. Uh-huh. It's <coughs> Elvis style. Um, I'm just telling you how my brain works. I'm sorry about that. Uh, uh, Pharaoh has these two dreams about the, the fat cows and the thin cows. And uh, Joseph is called before Pharaoh and he answers boldly and bravely when Pharaoh says, can you interpret the dreams? Joseph says, it's not in me, but God will give Pharaoh a favourable answer. Then he tells Pharaoh what God has revealed to him, what he's about to do, that the seven good cows and seven good ears of grain are seven years of plenty. And the thin cows and thin grain are going to represent seven years of famine. 
Joseph not only interprets Pharaoh's dream, but he instinctively offers a God-inspired solution. Eager to be used as this channel of God's blessing for Egypt. And through his humility, Pharaoh rewards Joseph. He promotes him to be prime minister over the whole country. To oversee the storing of grain through the good years and the portioning out over the years of famine. And this is ultimately what Joseph was sent to Egypt for. To save and redeem a nation. Not necessarily Egypt, but his own. Back home, his father and his brothers and his mother were suffering and would have died had it not been Joseph going to Egypt. In God's divine sovereign plan. I just encourage you to read these chapters from 40 to 50 over the next week. Read the detail of how uh, Joseph and his brothers were reconciled. So the brothers are, are sent by Jacob to Egypt to get food and supplies in the years of famine and they're finally reunited with their brother Joseph. They don't recognize him at first and there's this exchange happens and Joseph sends the brother back to their father Jacob. Uh, He keeps Benjamin, the 11th brother, uh, from the same mother, not the brothers from another mother. Um, And it's not right until near the end where Joseph reveals himself and instead of reaping revenge on his brothers... He shows mercy and grace and forgiveness. There's this famous discourse at the end of the story where Jacob has died and the brothers are still fearing that Joseph will exact his revenge. But Joseph knew that through their plan of destruction, God had a plan of salvation. They had a plan of harm, but God had a plan of help for all the nations. And Joseph's relationship with God. This is why this is so helpful for us. His relationship with God shaped his view of his life story. He saw purpose and plan through all the pain. And Joseph was being turned into a saviour by weakness and suffering and rejection and betrayal. Does that sound familiar? And there's this famous line that says, what they meant for evil... God meant for good. God can use the good and the bad in your life and use it for your good and for his glory. Like the famous verses, Romans 8, 28, for we know that those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Jeremiah 29, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, the plans for wholeness and not for evil plans to give you a future and a hope. This amazing God of the Bible is your God. He's my God of our lives, of every event in our life. The good and the bad. He uses them all for his people and for his glory. Joseph doesn't punish his brothers. He's rescued them. He's brought God's people out. His family come and live safely with him in Egypt. And we know that one day God would send another Joseph, another young man whose heart would break like Joseph's, who would leave his home and his father. His brothers would hate him and want him dead. He would be sold for pieces of silver. He would be punished. And even though he'd done nothing wrong, God would use everything that happened to this young prince, this type of Joseph, 
Jesus, the greater Joseph. Even through the bad things, even what looked like ultimate defeat on the cross leads to ultimate victory, to do the good of forgiving the sins of the world. And no matter how many pits or prisons we end up in, God is up to something better, much, much better. He is working all things together according to his perfect, perfect plan. God is on in the long-term plan. He is in the pit. If you feel like you're in a metaphorical pit right now, he is shaping you right now. Even through the difficulty, even when life is not good, he is shaping you. He is sovereign over your whole entire life. Whether you realize it or not, God is drawing you in to be adopted into his family. He's drawing you in to be more like his son, Jesus. If you're in a pit or a prison right now, God has not abandoned you and you can cry out to your saviour. Suffering exists now for a little longer, but one day Jesus will return and suffering will cease. But for now, don't let the difficulty keep you from him. Don't let unforgiveness of others hold you back. You know, I believe that can really restrict growth in a Christian's life is unforgiveness. And the Lord commands us to forgive in the Lord's Prayer, right at the end of the Lord's Prayer. He commands us to forgive. We should be the most forgiving people in the world. And it's not to say that it is easy, but it is to say that if you have unforgiveness in your heart, it is going to hold you back. If you're wanting breakthrough, or seeing something change in certain areas, and you're praying, you're saying, Lord, why is it? Why is this not happening? It could be. I'm not saying this is the case for everybody, because it isn't. But maybe the Lord is just wanting to deal with something, some bitterness in your heart. Do you know, even recently, over the last few weeks, God just reminded me about an event in my uh, early years that I just needed to deal with and, and forgive the person involved. Realized it was actually quite traumatic, but I realized I thought about it and just gone, yeah, no, that's fine. I'm very good at lifting up the carpet and sweeping the stuff underneath. But you soon start tripping over the lump. So God wants to deal with unforgiveness in your heart as well. And Joseph is just this perfect example of us, for us. God has forgiven us much, and we must too forgive. He is sovereign in it all in the good and the bad, and he has a plan for your life. And you can come to Christ now and know him as your Lord and Saviour. Have a relationship with the creator of the universe and he promises he will never leave you. And I would just encourage you, dive deeper into this in your own time. This is wonderful. This message of repentance, this message of God's lavish grace and mercy, this message of redemption through an innocent substitute, and this message of resurrection riches at Christ's expense. Why don't we stand and pray? Thank you, Lord Jesus. And I just feel the Lord might want to do some business in our hearts right now because he wants you to be free. So Jesus, we just want to thank you that you have forgiven us much. 
Thank you, Lord, for the examples that we have in Scripture of how to live and how not to live. Lord God, will you just highlight anything right now in our hearts that may just be holding us back? Lord, will you lift up our eyes to see where you are working? If we are in a pit right now, Lord, lift our eyes up. Lift our eyes up, Lord God, to see the promises that we have in you, Lord Jesus. And I pray for a real strengthening and encouragement for my brothers and sisters here this morning. Lord God, help us go forth and be fruitful. Lord, we want to uh, be witnesses for you and for your kingdom. We want to look different from the world around us. We want to be shining lights in this twisted and crooked generation, O oh God. So help us. I pray for us all now, Lord, Lord God. Strengthen us, Lord God. Set us free from these struggles, Lord, we have. If you, you want to do stuff in us right now, come and speak to us. But Lord, we want to be your kingdom partners and witnesses in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, if We're going to draw our service to a close now. If you could go down and collect your children, could you apologise to my wife when you do that, that I've run over? Um, and I'm sure she would appreciate If you all apologise when you go and get your kids, then um, she would really uh, appreciate that. Um, but if you feel like God has been speaking to you about this, has been stirring stuff up in your heart, we're going to have a prayer team uh, over to your left. Um, I, I, God wants to do some business in you. So I just pray you go and be blessed, have a good week, uh, and stick around for tea and coffee.